This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the greatest MCU movie of all time crossover podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest MCU movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I am Adam. Today we are discussing the fifth movie of the MCU, the origin film Captain America, the first Avenger, originally released on July 22nd, 2011, directed by Joe Johnston, written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, score by Alan Silvestri. Chris Evans as Steve Rogers slash Captain America, Tommy Lee Jones as Chester Phillips, Hugo Weaving as Johann Schmidt slash the Red Skull, Haley Atwell as Margaret Peggy Carter, Sebastian Stan as James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes, Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, Toby Jones as Arnim Zola, Neil McDonough as Timothy Dum Dum Dugan, Derek Luke as Gabe Jones, and Stanley Tucci as Abraham Erskine. All right, for your favorite segment from the last time, I'm keeping this around. What do you think the total budget was for this film? Oof. Um, are we talking inflated currency or are we talking, uh, talking real money? At the time. I'm going to say $80 million. Raise that by a good margin. Really? Uh, 100, 130. $140 million. Holy shit. Wow, that is surprising. That's a lot of money now. That's like, oh, wow. As far as the box office and its ranking out of MCU films, we said on your pod that there are currently 31 MCU films. Out of those 31, where do you think this ranks in worldwide gross? Am I? Oh, first of all, am I correct in thinking it's in the 300 to 400 million range worldwide? Yes, you are very comfortably within those two numbers. Okay, I'm gonna say it's 27. 30th out of 31. It made 370.6 million worldwide, 176.7 domestic, and 65 million its opening weekend. 30th. Wow, DC would kill to have that right now. That's that's crazy. So critic scores, what do you think its Rotten Tomatoes value is among critics? 84. Not bad, 80%. Metacritic score? Uh, is this out of 10? So it's out of 100. Oh, okay. 83. It's a 66. They're much harder graders on Metacritic. Oof. And Letterboxd, how many out of five? Do they do, I assume they do decimals like point tens? Correct. Correct. Uh, 3.7. Not too far off. 3.2. Not my best work. Eh. You're at least in the ballpark. Plot summary for this one. In a world bruised by the battle scars of World War II. Captain America, the first Avenger, emerges as a stirring tale of valor, resilience, and the enduring power of the human spirit. Set against the backdrop of a globe overshadowed by the sinister rise of Hydra, a nefarious organization, this film unfurls as a beacon of hope in the darkest hours. Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, an ordinary man with an extraordinary heart, hindered by physical limitations that have barred his entry into the armed forces, Steve's indomitable spirit becomes his greatest asset. The film weaves a captivating narrative of Steve's journey from a selfless soldier in the making to a beacon of hope for the free world. His bond with Peggy Carter 
adds a touch of romance amidst the explosions and espionage. Their chemistry dances delicately through the fog of war, allowing love to flourish amid the battlefield's brutality. Director Joe Johnston skillfully orchestrates a cinematic symphony of heart-pounding action sequences and intimate character moments. The film's sepia-toned palette transports audiences to a bygone era, yet its emotional resonance is timeless. A tug-of-war between heroism and villainy ensues, culminating in a final showdown aboard a skybound vessel, a striking metaphor for the battleground of ideals that war encompasses. Was that your audition to be the coming soon to VHS guy in 1994? Sure. Actually, no, it was me taking uh, lessons from Walter Cronkite there. There you go. I, I digress. So, did you know... Haley Atwell, Peggy Carter, surprisingly touching Chris Evans's chest as he emerged from the pod upon turning into Captain America, was very much improvised, and the surprise on her face is genuine. As she admitted in interviews, she was taken very much by Chris's physique and nearly broke character and ruined that take that made it into the film as a result. I would too. Did you know? Most of the shots in the film were done by a Los Angeles company called Lola that specializes in digital plastic surgery. The technique involved shrinking Chris Evans in all dimensions. They shot each skinny Steve scene at least four times. Once like a normal scene with Evans and his fellow actors and actresses in the scene. Once with Evans alone in front of a green screen so his element could be reduced digitally. Again with everyone in the scene but with Evans absent so that the shrunken Steve could be reinserted into the scene. And finally with a body double mimicking Evans' actions in the case the second technique was required. When Evans had to interact with other characters in the scene, they had to either lower him or raise the other actors and actresses on apple boxes or elevated walkways to make Skinny Steve shorter in comparison. For close-ups, Evans' fellow actors and actresses had to look at marks on his chin that represented where his eyes would be after the shrinking process, and Evans had to look at marks on the top of the actor's head to represent their eyes. The second technique involved grafting Evans's head onto the body double. This technique was used mostly when Evans was sitting or lying down, or when a minimum of physical acting was required. And it was highly noticeable during this version of the watch for me. There was at least one scene where it just looked bad. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not great, but I mean, the technology's going on 15 years old. Well, yeah, at the time I thought, holy shit, I can't believe they can do this. Interesting. Yeah, I thought, I assumed that they just, uh, you know, they filmed his skinny stuff and then they took six months off and let him bulk up and then came back and no wonder this costs so fucking much. They've they <laughs> shot things four times for every scene he's in. That's a lot of the movie. No wonder this costs so much. What are they doing? Did you know? Chris Evans declined the role three times before accepting the part. Not out of dislike for the role, but because he feared what the effects of a sudden increase of fame would be on his private life. Then Robert Downey Jr. convinced him to take the part and thus gain the freedom to sign on any other role he'd want afterwards. Did you know? Hydra's futurist aircraft take their designs from actual World War II German concepts such as the Horton H.18 Flying Wing Bomber and, holy shit, I can't pronounce that, Tribflugjager flight plane <laughs> or fighter plane. Wow. I'm that, sure you that... nailed it. <laughs> okay, did you, did you ever see Eurotrip? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, there's the scene where he's in, like he tries to go into one of these like sex shops or whatever. And they take him down into a dungeon and 
recognize that he's an American. So they give him a safe word, but the safe words like in Finnish or something or Danish. Yeah. Dutch. <laughs> and it's like all these letters and symbols that look like elfish in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I'm sure that's you what it. that word reminds me of. It's got two different umlauts. Wow. Multiple umlauts. Did you know? Shields made of different materials were used depending on what was needed for the shot. Rubber shields were used for when Captain America punches people with it. For scenes where he put the shield on his back, magnets were used to keep it in place. In many of the scenes where he is seen throwing the shield, Chris Evans would mime out the actions of catching and throwing the shield, with the shield being added later, using CGI. So that's a little unfortunate. That the shield isn't real? Yeah, you kind of want it to be. Yeah, is the shield... I mean, is that a good weapon? Like, is that a, is that a, I feel like it's not. So are you advocating that we uh, have best weapon on your side of the pod? No, I'm not advocating for more work on mine. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, like, I don't know. It just seems like such a pain in the ass. And then we see the training montage and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like that thing's difficult. Like what, a, like just get a sword, man. Just cut people's heads off. What are we doing? Shield. You gotta throw it. Does anybody like, have a sword in the MCU? Hold it. Uh, Drax. Does he have like a sword sword? Well, it's well, it's not a, like a true sword. I think he uses a sword, but does he like have a sword? You Isn't there saying? one in the end of uh, Eternals with the guy that's played by Jon Snow? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, the blade, the blade stuff. Yeah, I forget what the name of that sword is. But yes. Yeah, because he's supposed to be a completely different character, but in the Blade mythology. Yeah, it doesn't yes. matter. Well, I mean, look, Blade is never going to happen. At this point, probably not. And we're never going to see Kit Harrington again, which is a shame. But that 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 ship has sailed. We're never seeing him or Harry Styles or any of them. I don't think we're ever seeing any of that again, which sucks. But oh well. So, if you want the first half of our discussion on this movie, you can subscribe to the Streaming Circuit podcast for that. But we're here now to apply the patent-pending Stan Lee rubric, started by my regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast, to determine the greatest MCU movie of all time. But let's first take a quick break, and we will be right back. So before we jump back into the episode, next month we are discussing the sixth movie in our crossover podcast series and the end to Phase 1 with The Avengers from 2012 written and directed by Joss Whedon, music by Alan Silvestri, starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Tom Hiddleston, and Jeremy Renner. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Another hint, it's on Disney+, Plus if you can still afford it. Anyway, moving on. If you've never listened to an episode of this show before, that's okay. My regular show, Greatest Movie of All Time, uses our patent-pending Stanley rubric to grade movies on their legacy, their impact and significance in the moment of their release, their novelty, their classicness, and their rewatchability. Plus, then we give all of you some points, too, by incorporating the audience scores from both Google and Rotten Tomato users. So, Adam, legacy is up first. Do you want to attempt to go first or second? I shall remind you that we split the first two categories, since you seemingly forget every yes, time. this always throws me for a loop. I will, <laughs> yeah, I'll go first. So uh, do you want me to start industry or public, or is it dealer's choice here? Dealer's choice. Well, I mentioned, I kind of teased on, on my pod that this is the Kirk Cousins of the MCU, 
It's perfectly average. It's not great. It's not bad. And you're going to see that in a lot of my scores tonight. Going to be pretty average across the board. I went for a five with both industry and the public. So for the public. So it's a perfect 10? See, that's what confuses me. I we split it up, and I think it's always out of 10 for both. That's why I get thrown off. No, it's two and a half for each. It's, 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 so it's a five out of 10 is what I mean. It adds up to 10. The two, yeah, so I want, so no, so it's a five out of 10 total. I want two and a half for each. This is what confuses me. This is what throws me. Okay. So you, you no, gave I did it a full, not give it full I, 10. Okay, I understand. You're fucking with me. I know you're, you're just messing with me. You know what I'm saying. Okay. Any, anywho, so public, I think this movie, you know, it's 30th out of 31 out of the box office. And granted, it was still early, so people weren't like conditioned to go see every Marvel movie like they are now. But, you know, people, I think it's fair to say, were not like barreling down the doors to go see this movie. And I think for most people, it's probably their third favorite cat movie. We'll see if it is still their least favorite after the new one comes out. Uh, I, I'm dubious about the new one. So I think, you know, this movie is perfectly average for people. Like you said, it's in your top 10. I think that's pretty high for most people. But I don't think anyone really has it at the bottom. I think it just kind of lives in the middle. So that's why I gave it a perfectly average score. And then industry, kind of same thing. You know, the box office was, you know, pretty good. $370 million is really good for most movies. For this movie, it's fine. Um, it's not spectacular. It did kick off a bunch of careers in a way. Like Haley Atwell, she got her own show out of this, which we can argue the successfulness of the show. But... You know, she got her own show. They brought her back a lot. Chris Evans became a star. You know, he was a Marvel hero, but he was in bad movies. And it didn't seem like he was going to really take off. And then he got this. And now he's in a bunch of big movies. And he became a star. And so I, I just think overall, this is a very average film in terms of its legacy. Now, normally I incorporate the box office more into impact and significance as opposed to the legacy overall. I think that I have to raise that a couple more than where you're at, specifically because it has a longer tail over time than what it was in the moment. Yes, as far as box office, this was not going to be a huge draw. And for whatever reason, Thor somehow finished ahead of this, even though I think this is a much better movie than Thor. The only film in total box office that it beat was The Incredible Hulk. Which, okay, we've now discussed several of the like bottom feeders as far as overall gross in their runs. But I think this had an important place in establishing Evans, Stan, Atwell, many major characters that we would come to know and would be so integral to the story of what was going on. And I think you can't also overlook that it places probably the two most important writers to the MCU success at large as part of this. And so while I can appreciate that this didn't have a great box office, it does have a legacy on a cable system. I mean, this probably appears just about as much as like Iron Man 2 on cable, or at least at one time did. And I think more people have probably seen this than quite a few of the other phase one films. It's one that I return to quite a bit, although that's rewatchability. So I don't want to step on too many other categories before we get there. And I do think that the audience share of this 
it introduces probably the second most important Avenger going forward. You got really lucky that you cast well in the first phase one, but it was not like everybody was clamoring to see Chris Hemsworth coming out of Thor. I think there was at least an appeal to where Evans and Downey, they were the draw for what the Avengers would become. And by the end of Avengers, you were coming to see all of them, not just those two, but that at least was the initial draw. Yeah. So I had a 4.5 on the industry part of it because of how integral this is to the overall success of the Avengers. And I had a 3.5 for the audience for an eight total. Nice. Much higher than I Yeah, but I mean, with the average, it'll come down to a 6.5 between the two of us. Yeah. Now, as far as impact and significance, this is where I have to give it some points down among the audience at large. I understand that it's probably not a huge movie comparatively to everybody else. And while it was the movie that kind of was the last finishing kick before Avengers, it clearly was not in the same category where people could go to the Avengers movie and did this movie was not particularly well attended, but I think it was an important linchpin for where Marvel was going. You could see that by the cut scene at the end of it, everything was leading to doing the Avengers coming out of this movie. And this was the last one, the first Avenger you had to figure out how he was going to end up in that movie. This was kind of the last domino to be placed down. So while it's not the most important Marvel film of phase one, it's pretty integral. So I'm going to go with a four and a 2.5 for a 6.5. Okay. I am going to go a three and a three, a little higher in this category because it did, you know, kind of jumpstart Chris Evans career in a way. I mean, he'd had some big roles, like I mentioned, but this was kind of the big one. It set up a lot of the MCU moving forward, you know, cap and Peggy, you can argue that relationship or Tony and Pepper. It's, it's one and two. And I mean, Avengers Endgame, the entire Infinity Saga closes with Cap and Peggy. So their through line is crucial to the story. Like you mentioned, Marcus and McFeely all the way through wrote the character. And this is the first character that has gotten a sequel or uh, excuse me, a legacy sequel. Like we haven't had a character to graduate from the MCU but pass down their superhero moniker to a new character in a movie. I mean, we've had She-Hulk on the show, which is kind of that, but Hulk is still around. You know, Don Cheadle and, and Rhodey already was his own hero, so that's not really the same thing. This is Sam Wilson. Ironheart? Well, that's going to be a show, and that hasn't happened yet. I think, I think Brave, what is it, Brave New World now? I think they changed the name to Brave New World. It's like the same thing as the new Batman movie that's coming out, the same name. It's stupid. <laughs> but, Look, I'm not convinced this movie is going to be very good, but it shows kind of the impact that this movie and this character had on the MCU that they they think the character is so profound and so prominent that they pass it down to a different character who is now the new Captain America. And like I mentioned, Peggy Carter got her own show that I don't know if anyone watched, but uh, she had her own show. I think it does have a lot of uh, impact on the MCU, this movie. So I think you flipped how we normally treat the two categories, but it doesn't really <laughs> probably, matter. Probably. Probably. Uh, <laughs> that's a 6.25 average between the two of us. As far as novelty, this is one of only two period piece films within the MCU. It's clearly distinct from any other MCU film because of the era and where it takes place. It sets up, I would argue, 
one of the major overarching villains, per se, I guess as an organization, Hydra, for at least the better part of a couple of phases. It's a fairly significant antagonist, even going into the future. Now, I don't want to step on our eventual discussion of Winter Soldier, because I think that might be one of the most novel films that has ever been created by the MCU. But I think this does have at least a few novelty points in its direction, comparative to any of its other brethren. That being said, I also think there is a good execution by a lot of people in this movie. It's got good writing. It's got good acting. It's creating some fairly indelible characters and it's tying in a story that probably should not work given where cap could be. I mean, you could have introduced cap and he'd been the most boring Avenger coming from world war two that for the most part, most people don't, or most people that were going to go see this movie had no real interest in. So I gave it a 7.5. Wow. Okay, it's a lot higher than I went. But I, you just made up, you just brought up a great point that this movie made you like Captain America and root for him, which is the problem that they have had with Superman forever. Is it's not an interesting character, and this movie was able to make Cap interesting, which was very important to the story. The Avengers and none of this works if Cap is a boring character. None of it works at all. So that's a great point. I actually went with a four for novelty. It's an origin story. It's the fourth origin story they've done in five movies. That's not that novel. It's a war movie, which nowadays we're not making as many war movies, thank God. But I mean, we used to make war movies like every other day. There was a war movie coming out. I think we went a little too crazy on that genre, if you ask me. It's Chris Evans' second major Marvel superhero role. So even casting him is not very novel. Um, You're just going back to a well you already went to with another movie. So I didn't find it to be all that novel. And it's in the middle of the superhero swoon. Like the superhero genre is on the upswing at this point in 2011. And it's about to fully blast off. But 2008 was kind of the start. So it's in the middle of that genre. So I I didn't find it as novel as you did. So that's a 5.75 average between the two of us. Let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. Before we jump back into the episode, and before we get to the Stan Lee rubric in a minute, if you're ever curious about the rankings for each film we've covered on the Greatest MCU Movies of All Time list, there's a link in the episode description of every episode of this show, or you can go to RonnieDuncanStudios.com backslash podcast and find it as one of the top entries on the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast show page. That has the grades we've done so far for all the MCU movies we've graded, and we continue to add more each month. I just updated the site and would appreciate feedback as I made all the scores viewable from the master list. Make sure to check that out as we go and follow along. All right, that moves us to classicness. So we don't have any major recastings from this film. All of the major principal actors carried over multiple times into the future of the MCU. The graphics, as we mentioned, are a little stale. Particularly, there's a few sequences where Evans's face on the scrawny body, you can tell that it's kind of like superimposed. And yeah, it, it doesn't hold up as well as it used to for me because I maybe wasn't looking at it as closely. Also, isn't it a little played out that the Nazis are constantly the bad guy? I think we've kind of beat that one a little bit to death. But this leads us right into Avengers with Cap and the Tesseract. 
We have Marcus and McFeely, who would also write Cap 2, 3, and Avengers 3 and 4, as well as Cap becoming the second biggest figure in the MCU after Tony Stark. So it's hard for me not to place this highly. I'm going to go an 8. Okay. Well, there is one recasting. Uh, Hugo Weaving does not play Red Skull in Infinity War and Endgame. Okay, but they could have gotten you to read the two lines. They really couldn't have. I think you're really overestimating my German accent. They, they really could not have. Okay, they could have gotten me, except I would have had to lose some weight. But You were thrown off by a, just a couple umlauts earlier, so I don't know. Could you have done it? I don't know. It was multiple umlauts in the same word. I'm used to one umlaut. Umlauts, plural. I, I went with a six for classicness. They nailed the casting, Chris Evans, which, which helps a lot. To get a character as perfectly cast as he was, to have to not cast John Krasinski, my guy Krasinski. What do you, how do you think that would have gone? What do you, what do you think is the, the butterfly it's effect hard of casting at this him? point because of how important Cap is and how we've grown up with Chris Evans to see anybody else doing it at this point? Yeah, it's 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 interesting though. It would have been uh, I don't know if it would have worked or not. I love I love me some Jim Halpert, but I don't know. But yeah, you know, I think it's it's a fun movie. It looks pretty good. I mean, the CGI on Skinny Steve, you know, is kind of hit or miss. But overall, it looks like one of the better Marvel movies to this point, for sure, that they'd done. So yeah, I'll give it a six. I think it's, you know, it's fine. Again, this is Kirk Cousins. Like, it's it's perfectly fine. So that's a seven average between the two of us. Rewatchability, what'd you have? I gave it a six. But it's a, it's a rising six, you know, like a rising Capricorn or whatever you call it. it. If you'd asked me this, if we had been doing this pod 12 years ago when I first saw this movie and I was, you know, 14, I probably would have said it was like a two or a three. But every time it just gets a little bit better and gets a little bit better. So I'm going to bump it up to a six, I think. And maybe, you know what, if we get to the end of this pod and we revisit some of these, which we probably won't. But if we did, maybe go up to a seven. I don't know. But I'm going with a six for right now. As I mentioned before, I think this is the second most viewed movie out of the entirety of the MCU for me, as far as just most times viewed, only behind Iron Man, and you already know my story behind why that will probably never be beat, as far as most times viewed. But this is a movie that I've watched many, many, many times. This is something I'm so familiar with, I could nap during it and not care. This is probably something I would turn on, that I can nap too, because if I wake up about an hour and a half in or half an hour in or whenever, I know exactly where I am in the movie. I just know it backwards and forwards. This is an easy viewing watch for me. I have a nine. I just want to make sure we're clear. Your, your biggest argument for this movie being very rewatchable is that you can nap through it. I just want to be clear about that. Yes. Okay. Interesting, interesting strategy, Cotton. See if it pays off. Well, given that I'm so comfortable and so familiar with the movie, that is my point, that I can nap through it without having any struggles as to the familiarity or whatever else. I mean, there are several movies in this that I could probably do that to, but this is going to be high up that list. But it's also one that I probably turn on more just voluntarily than other film. Yeah, fair. Rewatchability, then, is a 7.5 average between the two of us. For audience score, we had a 83% for Google users, a 75% for Rotten Tomato users, giving us a 7.9. So to recap the categories, we had a 6.5 average between the two of us for Legacy, 
a 6.25 for impact and significance, a 5.75 for novelty, a 7 for classicness, a 7.5 for rewatchability, and a 7.9 for audience score, giving us a final total of 40.9. And you want to guess where that places in our overall phase one grouping so far? I would have to guess second, right? I think that's a pretty good assumption. It is comfortably in second. So this movie would come in at 40.9. Number one is still Iron Man at 49.4. Nothing has come close to that, partly due to the fact that you give such low scores on a lot of these phase one movies, but fine. We had Iron Man 2 at 34.65, Thor at 31.95, and The Incredible Hulk at 24.55. Well, look, if you think I've been hard on the movies and don't like these movies to this point, buckle up. Because starting next month, we're hitting quite a stretch for me. The scores will be coming up. I Do you think Avengers is going to beat Iron Man or no? I think it'll be in the running. I, it could be close. It just depends. It's kind of an argument for what I think like Packer coaches. There's Vince Lombardi who perfected the formula and is credited with like the best glory years of the Packers in the 60s, won the first two Super Bowls. But then there's the guy who created them and also led them to the majority of their championships in Curly Lambeau. So there's an argument to be made that it's like chicken and egg. What is more important? I think as far as phase one goes, you could make an argument that Iron Man is more important than Avengers, but you could also make an argument that Avengers is more important than Iron Man. I'm not sure which camp I fall in, but it's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah, I think they'll be close. I think it'll definitely be in the top two. It'll definitely beat this one. I would probably venture to say yes. Now, I think Avengers has a better chance than Iron Man to be near the top by the end if that kind of gives away where I think this might fall, but I guess we'll find out. We got some good ones. We got some good ones later in phase three, that's for sure. And phase two. Phase one's going to occupy most of the bottom. Not all the bottom, but there will be probably at least three phase one movies in the bottom six, seven. Realistically, there are two decent phase two movies for me. Otherwise, I'm not real high on several of the other ones. So I, I don't think oh, wow. that... Okay. Well, I think Ultron is by far the worst Avengers movie out of the four of them. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, and that's not even disrespect. I still think that's a fun movie and you can watch it fine, but it's it doesn't hit the highs of the other three. And I don't think it's the one that people will return to the most often. And Guardians was kind of fresh at that point in time. So I put that probably among the top two. I think Winter Soldier was such a different movie from what we were expecting because I that's a movie that really should not work. But I don't think Dark World's very good, just overall, let alone as a Thor movie. And I personally have rarely gone back to Iron Man 3. That's a movie that severely disappointed me when I first saw it. It's just not one that I particularly care for. I'm not overly fond of the villain or the tone that it struck. It just felt different for me. And so it's just not nearly on the same level as the first two, in my opinion. The first two Iron Man? Correct. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. I know that's one that's near and dear to your heart, but unfortunately for me, yeah. 
So there's going to be a lot more disagreement when it comes to phase two. By the time we hit phase three, I think that's where we've, we've fully gotten into the stride of things and where I think some of the best successes all came. Well, I mean, yeah, you got like Homecoming, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War, back to back to back to back. That's oh, and pretty good I'll stretch. even throw in Doctor Strange. I love the original Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's that's a good one. And Civil War, obviously. Sure. There's some there's some good ones. And a little known film called Avengers Endgame. Might have heard of it. And don't forget Infinity War. I said Infinity War. Did you? Okay, then I missed it. Yeah. And then Captain Marvel, but we don't talk about Captain Marvel. But we already handled remaining questions and hot takes on your episode, so I think that pretty much wraps it up for my end of things. We will be back, as I said, next month to cover the Avengers. Then we have kind of a phase one wrap-up coming here in October. Any final thoughts for this time around? Um, No, I think we covered it. This is a fun movie. It gets better for me every time. And Cap as a character grows in me every time. I'm, I'm still firmly in Camp Iron Man. Team Iron Man all the way, but you know, Cap, every he grows a little, you know, his annoying Boy Scout attitude grows on me as I get older. And as I near the end of my life, <laughs> it's a good okay. movie, though. Good watch. Good watch. It's fun, fun war pick. One of my favorite war movies. I'm not a big fan of the genre, but uh, this is one of my more favored war movies. Apparently, that and Oppenheimer. Would you consider Oppenheimer a war movie? I mean, I know it's about a war but I don't know if I consider it really a war movie. I guess we would have to define what a war movie is, and I really don't want to do that right now. That's fair. But anyway, that will do it for us this month. Adam, tell them where they can find part one. Sure. So head over to the streaming circuit over on Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcast. but I recommend staying on the big two. Um, you can check out Captain America, the first Avenger, part one of this special you can also check out a bunch of other stuff we're doing when this episode airs. It's going to be uh, animated movie madness is coming out right around the time this is going to air in about a week. Uh, you can check out Tom Cruise movie madness. Uh, we do a bunch of different brackets, a bunch of different tournaments, have a lot of fun. Tom will be coming on next year, a little bit from now, but for a movie madness himself, which is a pretty big one. It's going to be a pretty big winner coming out of that one, um, whatever he chooses. So if you like brackets and movies and arguing, and insane reactions go check that out and then you can also check out the revisionist almanac that's a podcast coming soon with my buddy corns we're going back to every oscars to dissect what they got wrong because spoiler alert they get it wrong a lot so you can follow us on twitter at rev almanac to see all of our plentiful lists that we do corns is great about the lists Uh, he crushes the social media so follow us at rev almanac and follow at the circuit verse on twitter So that'll do it for us this month. Thank you for listening. I'll give you that one, but let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, a living legend who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you, big fella, you've managed to piss off every single one of them. Next month, we are discussing the sixth movie in our crossover podcast and the end to phase one with The Avengers from 2012. Written and directed by Joss Whedon, Music by Alan Silvestri, starring Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Samuel L. Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Tom Hiddleston, and Jeremy Renner. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. 
Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that more can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at thenewronnyduncanstudios.com or sign up for our newsletter. Find our new Facebook page under Greatest Movie of All Time Podcast or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at the handle at Podcast. The Greatest Marvel Movie of All Time is a joint production of Ronnie Duncan Studios and the Streaming Circuit. This show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.